And I think it's the same with commercial awareness. You know, news stories and commercial information, it's, all, it's not particularly interesting in isolation. But once you start to understand how it fits together and the impact it can have on firms and, and how stories evolve over time, you'll likely find it much more interesting and become more confident at talking about it. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place with them. Through the University of Law's pro bono program, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. Welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast Series. My name is Camilla and I'm a future trainee, solicitor and current LPC student. In today's episode, we're delighted to be joined by Jake Shogger, qualified lawyer who trained in a Magic Circle law firm and also the founder and CEO of City Career Series Handbooks and the Commercial Law Academy. And Jake is also a careers coach. And for those who are avid listeners of the podcast, you will know that Jake came onto the show um, at some point last year. So it's really great to have him back on the show. So um, please join me in welcoming Jake. Thank you for joining us today, Jake. Thank you so much, Camilla. Really nice to be back again. Great. Um, Okay, so let's start off maybe for those who haven't um, heard the last interview or haven't come across you before. Please could you give the listeners an overview of your career history to date? Sure thing. So I originally had a, well, failed music career. So from 18 to 23, toured around the country, playing drums, having a great time, made no money, wasn't particularly successful, but um, that's what I thought I would do for the rest of my life. I, our singer then quit. So I went off to university. I studied law and business at Warwick, um, briefly explored a few different types of career and ended up going down the, the commercial law route. And after doing uh, a bunch of open days, interviews, all that kind of thing, I accepted a training contract at Freshfields, which felt like it would be way into the future. Uh, in my final year, I sort of brought together all the notes I'd made at firm events and during my internships and stuff I'd written about assessment centres, put them into a Word document and printed them out and created sort of by accident a book, which I called the Commercial Law Handbook, I gave it out for free to students at university. Um, based on the, the feedback I got and the response, I developed it into something more substantive. I then added other books to the series and totally by accident um, ended up setting up a publishing company. A uh, year, couple of years later, after doing the LPC, I started my training contracts, had a good time. I learned loads. I mean, in retrospect, probably a lot more than, I, uh, than I'd realized at the time, but 
I, I quickly realized the city wasn't for me. So I qualified and at the end of my training contract, decided to, to leave the city and pursue sort of self-employed freelance portfolio career. So at that point, I continued trying to build up city career series. I got involved in career coaching. I did some copywriting and consulting for startups. Uh, and I continued practicing as a lawyer, but on a, a much more flexible basis and focused more on startup and scale-up clients. So good mix. And I love it that way. And then in the pandemic, I started delivering a lot more webinars and creating video content. And through that launched what, um, what has now become the Commercial Law Academy. Thank you. I always really enjoy hearing about your career history. It's so interesting um, and you've achieved so much. So that's brilliant. Um, but I wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about City Career Series and the Commercial Law Academy that, you, that you've developed and what inspired you to create these resources. Sure. So City Career Series publishes books covering um, the commercial awareness and employability aspects of the recruitment process for city careers. And that includes commercial law, investment banking and consulting. Um, it also produces an LPC revision guide, which um, is probably only going to be relevant for a few more years now that the SQE is coming in, unfortunately. Uh, and then uh, more recently, what I call the training contract handbook, which is it sort of takes legal commercial awareness to the next level based on a lot of what I learned in my, my training contract and whilst practicing as a lawyer. So really deep insights into what trainees do in the different practice areas, kind of fundamental commercial law principles. Um, I've got this comprehensive overview of processes that trainees manage. So things like due diligence and document review, um, in-depth look at some of the transaction documents and litigation documents you come across and loads of explanations of all the jargon and, and acronyms that might be thrown your way during internships or during a training contract. There's also loads of soft skill stuff in there, like um, interacting with supervisors, recording your time, networking, negotiation, taking instructions and, and all that kind of thing. Um, Surprisingly, the, the commercial law handbook and training contract handbook last year became Amazon bestsellers. bestsellers. I still don't know how that happened. I never expected it, but um, it was uh, nice to know. So that's the, I mean, the, the kind of publishing side. The commercial law academy is the e-learning side. And I, I developed this to try to give aspiring lawyers the tools they need to be able to succeed um, as they go through the recruitment process and the early stages of their career. So it's specifically focused at, uh, for aspiring commercial lawyers, um, hundreds of videos, articles, quizzes, practice questions, downloadable e-guides, all that kind of stuff, just to make learning more interactive. Covers everything from applications, cover letters, psychometric tests, interview case studies, M&A, a whole range of professional skills. I think there's about 17 or 18 courses up there now. Um, and I guess I think the differentiator is all the content comes from a place of real experience. So you know, I created most of the technical stuff based on my experience training at a magic circle firm and practicing as a qualified lawyer. Uh, the employability content is based on my experience coaching, mentoring and training thousands of aspiring lawyers. And the professional skills stuff has been delivered by expert trainers who have loads of experience training city lawyers. So the presentations course is delivered by the lady that trained me during my training contract. The writing course is delivered by the guy that trained me in business writing on the LPC. Um, the current affairs content is delivered by Peter Watson, who's an ex-stockbroker and absolutely brilliant. So um, that's where I'm coming from. In terms of why I created it, so I, I used to run a free mentoring scheme at university where me and other people who had training contracts would give free one-on-one -on -one application and interview sessions 
um, to more junior students who were going through earlier stages in the progress uh, in the process. Um, I ended up copying and pasting notes and advice into so many emails to all of these students that I just wanted to bring everything together in a more comprehensive way. And, and that's really where the first book came from. It was just to make my life a bit easier when mentoring and to make the, the information more accessible. Because of how it was received, I, I built that up, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and then I, I kind of as I went through the next stages, so LPC, my training contract, I just picked up more practical advice and wanted to find ways to to share that. And that's why one book led to another book, which led to seven books, which led to an e-learning platform. It was just um, kind of a natural evolution. Um, I think with the online courses, I was getting a lot of emails, especially during the pandemic from people based internationally. And they were saying, you know, I, I need a book quickly or I need to access the content quickly. But unfortunately, with supply chain, sometimes it was taking six or seven weeks just to get a book from kind of London to somewhere else in Europe. Um, and shipping was just getting so expensive. So I wanted to offer that instant access and I wanted to make it more affordable if students wanted to to access a broader range of content. So now it's $9.99 for a subscription that covers absolutely everything on there. And I think it's just made made things a lot easier for for everybody. Definitely. And I think it's great because um, it really, I suppose, people who are interested in, in reading material and prefer learning by just simply reading can access the books and then if people do like that uh, more I suppose interactive video content that you've got on the platform um, and that's a great way for the for the visual learners to um, learn and personally I found both platforms very very helpful when I was um, going through the process and and my sister the co-host of this podcast also has told me to say um to tell Jake that she found the platform really helpful preparing for her recent assessment centers. Um, so yeah, thank you for creating those amazing resources. Hey, thanks for the kind words and say say thank you to your sister for, for using them. <laughs> I will do. Um, okay, so let's move on to the uh, the next part of the podcast where I'd really like to delve into the role of a lawyer and the key skills that applicants should be demonstrating in interviews um, and applications, really, and, and the whole process. So uh, my first question is, please, could you provide an overview of what each commercial law practice area does? Sure thing. So, I mean, as well as helping to inform your choice of firm, I guess, having a high level understanding of what the practice areas do can be really helpful in the context of answering career motivation questions and commercial awareness questions uh, on application forms and in interviews. In one of my interviews, I needed to explain the firm's role in the context of a transaction, um, and that involved going through the different practice areas and applying my knowledge to a fictional case study. Some firms might ask you to discuss which practice areas most interest you. So um, for these types of questions, try and have that foundational understanding. Because ultimately, if you can't explain what a firm does and what its practice areas do, it's going to be really hard to convince a firm that that is the career for you. So I'm just going to go through eight of the kind of core classic city commercial law practice areas. But as a caveat, there are loads of other practice areas that firms might have that I'm not mentioning now. So to do a bit of research, I'm starting with corporate. Corporate lawyers generally focus on uh, facilitating and executing deals for clients. Um, The deals might might be share sales, mergers, acquisitions, joint ventures, and a whole host of other things. As part of this process, corporate lawyers tend to um, 
coordinate and liaise with other internal departments. So they might source advice, for example, from the real estate team, the employment team, the tax team, the competition team. Um, they might also work with um, or, or coordinate, bring together external offices. Um, so you might have documents governed by French law or US law or Hong Kong law. And, and if the deal is kind of being run out of London, the London corporate team will kind of pull all the relevant advice and, and send out those relevant documents to the different international teams. They might also coordinate external advisors, so tax advisors, accountants, and, and people like that. So they're almost like the main project managers of the deal. Um, as well as this, they tend to produce a lot of the key documentation necessary to execute transactions. And that includes kind of putting into writing or bringing together all that different advice that they're, um, that they're seeking. They can advise um, sellers and purchasers on different aspects of acquisitions that might involve things like structuring the deal alongside the tax team. Um, and maybe some general compliance and getting involved in some of the due diligence and, and advising on contractual rights, contractual protections and, and that kind of thing. And then towards the end, they will project manage the signing and the completion processes, which might involve creating signature pages for all the different uh, parties at the businesses that need to sign the documents and just make sure that everything is executed properly. Um, for another practice area, if we look at real estate, so real estate, or sometimes it's called commercial property lawyers, tend to advise on the acquisition, sale, transfer, uh, development and financing of tangible assets such as buildings and land, while helping to draft and negotiate rights relating to that land, such as leases, licenses uh, and more. Um, on the intellectual property side, lawyers tend to work on a, a nice range of transactional, contentious and advisory work can be things like applying for trademarks and patents to protect client intellectual property, can involve helping to license intellectual property rights to or from other parties, usually in exchange for some kind of royalty, uh, advising on whether a proposed course of action could breach existing IP rights, and initiating enforcement action, including litigation against infringers of their clients' IP rights. In a deal context, IP lawyers might be brought in to review clauses in certain contracts relating to the protection or the use, transfer, licensing, and so on of, of IP, just to make sure that if your client, for example, is looking to buy another company, that target company hasn't accidentally given away its IP to one of its stakeholders at an earlier stage in its life. Uh, next, looking at finance or banking or whatever a firm decides to call it, those teams tend to facilitate lending and borrowing, including borrowing with a view to funding some kind of acquisition or funding a business's day-to-day -day operations. So where a firm brings in some kind of corporate deal, let's say it's a private equity firm looking to acquire a business, the, the corporate team often works with the, the finance or the banking team because their client will need all the documents in place to help it raise at least some of the funds it will need to then buy that target company. Um, looking at employment uh, or employment and benefits or whatever the firm calls it, uh, these, these teams are typically responsible for drafting employment contracts and settlement agreements, uh, assisting with employee remuneration and incentivization strategies. So they might help clients put in place things like share schemes to, to motivate key employees. Um, they advise on the recruitment and the retention of employees. They might guide clients through the processes that must be followed when disciplining employees or dismissing employees. Um, and more generally advise clients in relation to their compliance with employment law, things like drafting staff handbooks and policies. Um, in the context of a, of a deal, employment lawyers might help to review some of the key contracts uh, or some of the contracts of key senior employees 
just to make sure there's nothing worrying in there. So sometimes there might be what's known as a change of control clause that says this senior person can essentially quit immediately without liability if ownership of their employer changes hands. And those are the types of red flags that employment lawyers will want to look out for in the context of a deal. Uh, in a contentious context, they might advise more on things like disputes relating to discrimination or unfair dismissal, whistleblowing, and, and that kind of thing. There's another practice area, um, you can look at competition. So especially on big deals, competition lawyers have a, a really key role. So they tend to advise on whether a deal could be deemed anti-competitive, um, which could lead to it being blocked by a regulator. So that involves looking at whether the deal might result in what's known as a substantial lessening of competition or even a monopoly in the relevant jurisdictions. Um, separately, they might also look at things like cartel investigations and competition-related litigation, uh, but in some firms that type of work might be carried out or led by dispute resolution teams. Um, another, another practice area, tax, which is uh, one of the more law-heavy departments. So, I mean, almost every transaction will have tax implications. So tax lawyers usually are brought in to advise on the tax aspects of those deals. It might be the risks and challenges. It might be the structures the parties intend to use. And some of these structures look so complicated, involving loads of different jurisdictions and so far beyond my intelligence level that um, some people really enjoy tax. Finally, um, dispute resolution. So dispute resolution teams tend to focus on uh, litigation, which is pursuing or defending claims issued through the courts, and investigations, which is helping companies to respond to investigations initiated by public bodies such as HMRC, the Competitions and Markets Authority, and the Serious Fraud Office. Um, although they might also get involved in things like negotiating and documenting settlement agreements and attempting to prevent conflicts arising in the first place. So that's a really simplified overview. I'd go into all of these in so much detail in my, my training contract handbook, but hopefully that gives you a, a flavour of, um, of what these departments do. I mean, Camilla, do you, do you know what you're interested in for your, your upcoming training contract? I know people tend to lean towards transactional and non-transactional, so um, I'm not sure if you've given it some thought. Yeah, so that's an interesting question, actually. My firm was brilliant and held a... Um, like an introduction sort of meet and greet with the partners from each practice area and um, from from that and from also the the subjects that I've done on the LPC it sort of informed my uh, sort of leaning towards corporate I do like um, the idea of, of trying a corporate seat I'm also very interested in um, trying uh, a finance related seat so maybe banking I also kind of I'm interested in IP as well and and perhaps and perhaps perhaps employment but I, I'm not 100% sure because I, I am actually interested in all the areas that all sound so interesting so I think I'll I think we get to choose um, our seats one at a time so I'll I'll start off with hopefully corporate and then see how I like it and then maybe move on. Um, but yeah, the, the contentious, contentious isn't, isn't an area that I'm leaning towards at the moment, but I could change my mind, I suppose. We'll see. I think that's a really good approach to take. You learn so much during a training contract from the other trainees and sometimes firms hold career fair format things where you get to talk to people from the different departments and and you learn loads from those I mean I never really thought about employment law when I joined Freshfields but actually it was probably my favorite seat and now 
Now that I can be a bit more flexible, all of my practice relates to employment law and then commercial contracts, which I never really did at Freshfields. And, and I love that mix. Yeah, definitely. I think it's you can go in with a preconceived idea, but until you actually try it, you just don't know. And I think that things are taught quite differently on the LPC and, and what it's like, like in practice must be quite different. But yeah, I'm just finding the CPR rules all a bit a bit intense at the moment, but, but we'll see. I'm sure I'll get my head around that. Before we get into the second half of the episode, I'd like to take this opportunity to talk about the sponsors of today's show and the law school that I chose to study my LPC at, and that's the University of Law. The University of Law believes in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. Their experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life experience from the start. They offer a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment-focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. To find out more about the courses on offer, click the link in the description box of the podcast. I'd really like to know what a typical, uh, what a trainee's role typically involves um, in, I suppose, any of those areas, really. Sure. Um, Well, the truth is that there's no definitive answer to this question. I think the reality is being a trainee, especially in the early stages, is probably a, a lot less glamorous than you might think or hope. Now, some of the work can be super interesting and depending on where you train, a lot of it high profile, but a training contract is a learning process and and no one starts at the top. Um, With that in mind, trainees can be involved in quite a few administrative and less interesting tasks, but these tasks can be essential for giving you the exposure you need to certain documents and processes um, so that you can then go off as an associate and take on a more substantive role. So I'm going to do I'm going to talk more about the actual trainee tasks rather than the context of different practice areas, just to give just to give an idea of what you might be doing on a day to day. So a big one that a lot of trainees get involved in in a, in a more contentious context is known as document review or doc review. Um, uh, so in the context of, of litigation or investigation, subject access requests, that kind of thing, there will often with large clients be thousands or even hundreds of thousands of documents relating to that litigation or that investigation. And someone will need to review those documents to ascertain what's been going on and to try to find evidence to support the arguments or the claims or the defences that the um, that you are trying to raise on behalf of a client. Now, those documents will usually pour into some kind of centralised database and trainees and paralegals and legal assistants will usually be the first level of review um, to then flag stuff that might be relevant to I guess, more senior people up the chain. Now, I think there are elements of legal tech um, and artificial intelligence that are starting to automate more of these processes, but I spent many, many hours reviewing documents like this as a trainee. Um, I guess the, the transactional equivalent is due diligence. So due diligence refers to the process under which a client, which is typically a prospective buyer, Um, and its advisors, including its legal advisors, carry out an in-depth investigation into a variety of aspects of of another company, typically a a prospective target in an acquisition context. And they do that investigation to gain a solid understanding of the target's business and its market, and to check for any existing or potential issues that can impact upon the deal. So again, you might have thousands or hundreds of thousands of documents um, stuck into what is known as a virtual data room, and then 
corporate team might look at all those documents, allocate them to different practice areas, depending on what the documents involve, and then trainees in those practice areas will, will take a look at those documents and then send over their feedback whilst supervised by kind of more senior people. Um, there's then another pro process that trainees tend to do in more of a finance seat known as verification. Um, so if you want to uh, issue bonds or um, shares through the capital markets, that kind of thing, you need to produce what's known as a prospectus. And that advertises the issue to potential investors and gives loads of information about the issuer's business, the potential risks, financial circumstances, and all that kind of stuff. So verification refers to the process of checking all the statements made in a draft company prospectus to make sure they're accurate, true, not misleading, and are supported by evidence. And it can involve kind of noting down the relevant sources for each of the statements made. Um, and it's really important that prospectuses are, are really correct. Now, looking at some other tasks, so you know, you might have a chance to get involved in drafting documents or amending documents, it might be shorter documents, things like board minutes, shareholder resolutions, engagement letters, non-disclosure agreements. Um, various companies' house forms that you need to file when companies take certain actions um, and that kind of thing. And you might be able to get involved in more substantive documents or it might just be kind of proofreading those documents. So uh, another task is referred to as bundling, not the most exciting task, but, but pretty key. So in the context of litigation, for example, it involves producing kind of hard copy and or electronic folders of documents um, that will support key litigation documents. So you know, a witness statement, for example, might refer to supporting evidence, and that supporting evidence would need to be put into some kind of folder in a, a well-organized way. And then that folder would be brought to court so that the, the other side can reference it, you know, your barrister can reference it, the judges can reference it. Um, so key, but it can be very fiddly. Uh, again, I guess a, a, a similar type of task in a transaction context is known as bibling. So when a deal is completed, the team will usually put together what's known as a transaction bible, containing all or at least the key deal documents, um, you know, things like the sale and purchase agreement. And it just means in the future, the client can easily reference all the stuff that they agreed to in the context of that deal if they need to. Um, another big task, which I kind of alluded to with, with due diligence and, and document review is project management. Um, trainees will often be responsible for project managing all sorts of tasks relating to client matters. Um, this can involve chasing internal teams for input and advice, answering questions from other teams and advisors or clients, coordinating paralegals and PAs and others during some of those um, more labor-intensive processes, um, keeping records of, I guess, information received or information that we still need to receive, um, I remember once having to kind of research into and, and engage with potential barristers and local counsel. Uh, you could be coordinating deal signings and closings, loads of stuff like that. And that's why organizational skills can be key. Um, research was probably one of the more interesting tasks I carried out during my training contract. I was researching into things like specific points of law and how the courts have applied that law, researching into companies, so like its shareholders, directors, businesses carried out, legal filings. Um, researching into legal processes and procedures, so certain court processes or deadlines and filings and, and that kind of thing, and also researching into regulatory guidance, proposed legal updates, and, and I guess other aspects that can help to give my supervisors context. And then finally, uh, as a trainee, hopefully you'll be invited to attend kind of internal and external meetings and briefings, conference calls, and that kind of thing, and, and you learn a lot from just hearing how others operate in those contexts. 
Thank you, Jake, for such a thorough uh, explanation of what a, a trainee typically does. And just a bit of an anecdotal story. Um, I had an interview where it was my second interview for a training contract. And uh, I was asked the question, so what tasks do you expect to be doing? And I think I came out with about three things and then my mind went, <laughs> went a bit blank. Um, and the feedback that I got was that, yeah, you didn't really seem to understand the role of a trainee. So um, to all the listeners who, uh, yeah, please learn from my mistakes and definitely um, get to grips with that before before you definitely face an interview. So, yeah, thanks again for that, Jake. And it, you know, that does come up a lot. I've, there's a, I've got a whole course on my academy um, called Introduction to Commercial Law. And, and I go through the practice areas in detail, trainee tasks in detail, the key skills needed by trainee lawyers and a load of um, stuff relating to the career more generally. And I guess that stuff does feed into um, motivation and, and your general kind of awareness and understanding of what, what commercial law involves. So check that out. Brilliant. We, you know, we hear, we hear that trainees are lawyers work on international deals but but what does international work actually involve <laughs> this this is an interesting one because i know firms throw out there that the work is super international and cross-border but I, I don't think people take much time to think about what that involves from from kind of the perspective of a junior you know it doesn't necessarily mean more intellectually stimulating work it often means you'll be working across time zones so constantly trying to figure out the time in Hong Kong, New York, and whichever other jurisdictions are involved. Um, and I often see, so my wife is a finance lawyer in an international context, and I can often just see loads of tabs open in Google Chrome, just, just with the question, you know, what is the time in X jurisdiction? So that's a big part of it. Uh, another big part is just chasing multiple foreign law firms for input, as they'll usually be the ones engaged to advise on international law. You know, not you, we're not qualified or insured to start advising on on US law, for example. So I think international work from a junior's perspective tends to mean project management and time management more than the multi-jurisdictional practical application of the law. And successfully managing these processes is, is absolutely paramount. I think part of the skill as you become more senior is knowing when to, when to engage local counsel, you know, which firms to use, which questions to ask, and how to incorporate their input into the relevant documents and, and notes of advice. And just to say, when people say the phrase local council, what they mean is law firms or, I guess, the firm's international offices, um, so firms or lawyers based in other jurisdictions. Thank you for that explanation. That was really helpful. And what skills do you think are important for applicants to demonstrate in applications and interviews to demonstrate that they will be an excellent trainee? So this comes up a lot again. I think when a firm on an application form says something like, you know, why you or why will you succeed? Your answer tends to be because I've developed the skills I need. And you'll then go through your experiences and evidence that you've you've demonstrated those skills. But nowadays firms are taking it further. And, and some are asking a kind of second question, which is why are those skills relevant in the context of being a lawyer? And, and I don't remember questions like that coming up back in the day when I was applying, but it seems to be coming up more and more. And again, kind of testing your understanding of, of the profession. So I'll go through some of the key competencies now and, and explain why I, I at least needed that as a trainee. So first and foremost, I think is organization and time management skills. You know, as a trainee, you need to be super well organized because uh, many times you'll find yourself balancing multiple, maybe sometimes even dozens of different matters and projects. You'll be managing loads of competing deadlines and some of those may, might change with little warning. 
Um, again, you'll be coordinating those kind of ex internal and external teams and advisors and, and working on loads of different documents for the first time. So to balance all of that effectively, organization is key. Um, firms value enthusiasm so much. You, know, you need to demonstrate enthusiasm and a willingness to help, especially when the workload, and therefore maybe your stress levels and your level of tiredness really picks up. You know, if you're moping around or you've kind of you're acting like you don't care anymore or you're really frustrated, that's really going to affect the culture within the team. And no one wants negative culture at three o'clock in the morning when you're properly up against it. I think enthusiasm is one of the main reasons why people get rejected from, from internships. So if you don't feel enthusiastic, smile and just think about your personal brand and how you're coming across. Um, initiative can also be key. Um, they want, firms want trainees to be resourceful, as this can make your supervisors' lives easier and save them a lot of time. And if you ask, if you're constantly asking questions about how to do everything, uh, but there are avenues to kind of figure it out for yourself, it's not going to come across too well. You can also do things like try and preempt what you're going to be asked to do next, even if it's just drafting a cover email that your supervisor can use when forwarding your work to the client. Um, those types of things can make a real difference. Uh, another key one is attention to detail and analytical skills. Now, this is because the work of commercial lawyers requires you to review, process, and advise on vast amounts of complex information, um, and you need to produce work that is technically accurate um, and kind of coherent and makes sense. So attention to detail is key, unsurprisingly. Another one is problem solving. So especially top city firms, they charge so much money per hour for their services and clients are increasingly instructing these firms only when they've got particularly challenging and unique issues that need resolving or, or challenging strategies to, to execute. So firms want candidates who can think creatively and laterally to ensure client problems are tackled effectively. Now, that doesn't mean from day one you're going to be kind of taking the lead on some kind of $20 billion acquisition, but they want to know that you've, you've demonstrated problem-solving skills in an early stage and throughout your education um, because these are something that you'll be needing to rely on more and more as your, your legal knowledge evolves. And teamwork is another essential one. Lawyers are constantly working in teams. So you know, teammates in your practice area, um, team, people in, in the same team as you from other practice areas on the same matter, and as we mentioned, kind of external advisors and, and all that kind of thing. So they need to know you'll interact positively with colleagues from different backgrounds, cultures, countries, um, and contribute positively to the firm's culture throughout um, tying into teamwork is communication. And I think if you're going to work effectively in a team, communication is like a, a foundation of doing that. Communication and, and kind of linked to that as well, networking is also important because you'll, you'll be regularly throughout your career presenting to and interacting with clients and other firms and other employees. So communicating confidently and effectively can be absolutely essential. Also, as you become more senior, you'll need to bring work into the firm, and this is often facilitated through networking. Um, so an ability to make connections and build relationships and communicate positively in those contexts can be completely essential if you're looking to make partner further down the line. I guess three more. So adaptability is key because you will be working with different types of people who will have different types of preferences. So adaptability and with that cultural awareness um, is really important. You've got to be able to adjust your working style and the way you communicate. Um, resilience is important. I know firms are talking about that more and more nowadays, but you know, you're likely to receive constructive criticism and feedback on a very regular basis, or at least I did. Um, and people can often be too busy to acknowledge when you've excelled or to thank you for your work. So resilience can help you to you know, focus on the, the, the positives, which is people are using their time to help you develop more and not lingering on 
on things like criticism and letting it get you down. And then finally, composure. Right? When, when you are really up against it, if you panic, it's going to affect the, the extent to which other people trust you. Um, I remember getting a lecture about not seeming composed enough at two o'clock in the morning after a few kind of crazy nights in a row. And you know, once I got some sleep and calmed down, I thought the person that gave me that feedback was, was completely right. Me being a bit panicky because I felt slightly out of my depth, wasn't doing anyone any favours. Um, so composure is key. And uh, I'll, I'll leave that there. I could go on and on. There are so many other skills and competencies and reasons, but um, hopefully that gives a bit of an insight. Thanks, Jake. Um, I completely agree. Those are all such important skills to demonstrate. Um, and just from my own experience, I from every interview that I've had, teamwork, time, time management and organisation have always been interview competency questions that I've, that I've had. Um, so, yeah, those two definitely firms always always want to know about in, in the interview process um, and just some final questions recommendations for building commercial awareness the the million dollar question um, <laughs> <laughs> so um I was I'll be honest I was really bad at this when I was preparing for my interviews in my second year I think I, I tried to cram commercial awareness like I was studying towards an exam and I really don't think that's a great approach I think my knowledge at the time was shallower than it should have been and I probably was lucky to get away with that um, I think little and often is a better approach um, I know it can seem really boring when you pick up the Financial Times and read an article in isolation because you feel guilty that you're not doing anything about your commercial awareness but I like to use an analogy with like a novel and think about picking up like a 500 page book and you read the first page and then the second page. And at that point, it's usually quite hard to maintain your interest as you don't understand the context and the characters. It becomes a lot more interesting once you kind of understand how the stuff you're reading fits into the broader context of the book. Once you start to follow the storylines and you learn more about the character histories. And I think it's the same with commercial awareness. You know, news stories and commercial information, it's, all, it's not particularly interesting in isolation, but once you start to understand how it fits together and the impact it can have on firms and, and how stories evolve over time, um, you'll likely find it much more interesting and be, become more confident at, about talking, talking about it. So in, in terms of sources, I think with little and often, I think digests are, are really helpful. So every week I subscribe to a free digest by The Economist. Um, a few free digests from a brilliant company called CV Insights, and they cover things like tech news, industry trends, investment trends. I subscribe to AngelList. I, mean, I know that's all quite tech focused, but I advise tech clients. So that's the commercial awareness I need. Um, there are loads of really good business news digests. Watson's Daily, I think, is brilliant. I work a lot with, with Peter, and I actually read Watson's Daily every morning as well. So I think digests can get you in the habit if you're regimented about reading something when it hits your inbox of spending five, 10 minutes a day, just kind of skimming over the key news stories. Um, I'm a little bit biased here, but I think a commercial law academy is a great point. I've got all the courses are kind of divided into these three categories, one being recruitment process, one being commercial awareness, and one being professional skills with five or six courses in each category. And that can help you to pick up um, the business knowledge around how businesses operate and what they do, and why they raise finance, how they raise finance, all that kind of stuff. Um, but also some of the current affairs stuff. So Peter and I run a webinar at the end of every month covering the key stories from that month from a legal business and markets perspective. And, and all of those wrap-ups are up there to watch on demand starting in sort of January 2021. 
Um, Chris Stokes's books are brilliant. I used um, All You Need to Know About the City when I was a student, taught me about how the city works and the major players. Uh, and then my books go into a bit more industry-specific detail. So like Commercial Law Handbook and Training Contract Handbook gives a real insight into the business stuff I needed to know for commercial law interviews. And then with the Training Contract Handbook, it's much more of an insight into, into the profession and what you might come across. Uh, in terms of more general news, I found BBC Business News much more accessible than the likes of the, the Financial Times. Um, so that can be a good thing to get in the habit of skimming. Uh, podcasts, loads of people recommend podcasts nowadays. Obviously, you're listening to a podcast right now, which is a, which is a really good start. But you might find one that you can walk, uh, listen to on you know, your commute to university or your commute to a part-time job and, and get in the habit of doing that. Um, firm websites and events can give you good understandings of kind of firms and their clients and the industries they're servicing. So if you are going to interview a firm, do check out things like it's, um, I guess it's annual report and, and any client notes or blogs that, that they've published. And then finally, if there's ever terms you hear that you don't understand, get into the habit of looking them up. For that, Investopedia is absolutely amazing. Their explanations of complicated stuff are just Brilliant. And I've learned so much from that website over time. So uh, hopefully that gives a, an idea of different ways you can do it. That's that's brilliant. Thank you, Jake. Um, and before we let you go, I wondered if you had any non-law book recommendations for us. Um, have you read anything good recently that's not related to the law? Sure. I mean, I, I think if we go like completely non-law or completely non-business context, I really loved Ken Follett's Century Trilogy. There's three big books. Um, I learned so much about the, um, I guess, just all the major stuff that happened in the 20th century. It's, it's, it's historical fiction. So he follows different families from different countries through um, all the major events. And it was really gripping. Um, another one I loved was Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. I don't think I've ever come across someone who read that and didn't think it was incredible. And it kind of just charts like the history of like the earth and humankind. It's super interesting. And I never used to be in, into historical fiction before reading books like these. So um, check them out. I think in a, in a business context, but not specifically law. So hopefully I'm just about adhering to your question. Um, I have I have really really enjoyed reading biographies of founders and biographies about companies and their and their journeys. I'm not talking about kind of self help business books. I'm talking about books that that tell the story. I find them fascinating. Um, the one that got me into all of this was a book called The Startups by a journalist called Brad Stone, and it charts Uber and Airbnb from the very early days of the companies of like the founders sitting in a room, bounding around ideas for a business, then like the founders of Airbnb knocking on doors in New York and trying to persuade people to list on the website, right the way through kind of investment challenges, legal challenges, all the great stuff that happened, the funny stuff that happened. And I found that I learned so much about business through those books, whilst almost feeling like I was reading a story. Um, he wrote another great book called The Everything Store about, you probably guessed it, Amazon, there's a brilliant biography about Elon Musk by um, Ashley Vance. Uh, the Nike founder wrote a book called Shoe Dog, which is just fascinating hearing about Nike a few decades ago, just being this, this tiny, tiny business operating out of a room with shoe boxes everywhere. Um, the Starbucks founder's book Onward is great. Uh, and then actually someone I knew back in my university days who set up a really successful, or originally a hair tie business called Invisibobble, wrote a book called 100 Million Hair Ties and a Vodka Tonic. Um, and it's very relatable because this is something she did as a student. So hopefully some of those um, your, your listeners find interesting. 
Thank you for that. I really love to hear what other people are reading and to get ideas for, for books. And that historical fiction does sound really interesting. So I'm definitely going to check that out. So thanks again um, for coming on the show. Um, I just wondered, where can listeners connect with you if they want to hear more? Um, so uh, very welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Jake Shogger in the world, as far as I know. Um, <laughs> at Commercial Law Academy on Instagram. If you search Commercial Law Academy on LinkedIn, I've got this free networking group with about 6,000, currently around 6,000 aspiring lawyers in there. And I post resources and links to free webinars and key definitions and all that kind of stuff in there. Um, check out citycareerseries.com for more information about the handbooks. Check out uh, commerciallaw.academy to see more about the courses. And there's loads of free previews on there. So you can kind of check all those out, no cost. And um, that probably covers it. But yeah, very welcome to connect with me. Wonderful. I will leave the links to everything that you've just mentioned in the description box of the podcast. So the listeners can easily, easily find find you down there um but yeah thank you so much for spending your time talking with us and, and providing such amazing insight it's it's been a pleasure to have you on the show um, and you're welcome back anytime thanks so much camilla really great questions really enjoyed it um get me involved again i really hope in the meantime your your listeners find it helpful and to anyone listening to this best of luck i know it can be really stressful working on applications and going through the recruitment process but um you know one day you'll look back and think really glad i'm not doing that anymore uh, so for now just just get through it the best you can that's that's great advice okay thank you to all the listeners for tuning in and we'll see you in the next one goodbye This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief that its students should learn in a realistic, professional and contemporary context. They focus exclusively on practice-based training and give students access to their extensive career service and jobs vacancy database as soon as they accept a place. Through the University of Law's pro bono program, law students can hone their skills by working on real cases before they graduate. The University of Law offers a range of postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students advance at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. The University of Law will help you reach your ambitions by delivering an outstanding academic and employment focused experience honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. As soon as you begin your studies with ULaw, you'll learn how to think and act like a lawyer. Whether your aspirations are in law or other fields, their courses will balance academic rigour and practical skills so your career starts from day one. To find out more about the courses they have on offer, just click the link in the description box of the podcast. To hear more of the Student Lawyers podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join The Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.